0: Why, hello, and welcome. Welcome to the Peer Pressure Podcast. I am Diane, sometimes known as Diane Kamikaze, and I am your host. The reason why I do this podcast is because I like to say I am a champion of heavy music. I've always found my favorite songs since I was a young kid, had riffs, hooks, were either metal, hardcore, hard rock, or punk, or something fairly aggressive in attitude and sound. And I am all about appreciating the people that keep that world going, whether they're musicians, webmasters, other podcasters, record label and festival owners. It's important to me to recognize what these people do in that realm of music. So I am here to bring them to you in a different context, more than a Wikipedia entry or a press release, a little more personal and a lot more fun. I'm a rocker for life, and I hope these episodes do make a difference. Send me feedback at diane at wfmu.org. And my Facebook page is Diane Kamikaze Farris, Rocker for Life. Like my page there, and I will keep everybody updated on podcast episodes in that space. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned. Welcome to Jaime Pina, the talented guitarist who you might say was in the right place at the right time more than once in his career, a current member of Electric Frankenstein and of course long-term guitarist of Chemical People, coming up now. Welcome rockers, my guest today is Jaime Pina. Hello, hello,
1: hello. how are you, hola. <laughs> uh,
0: just fresh back from an Electric Frankenstein gig in Sweden.
1: It was beautiful there. It was great. The Stockholm Pete fans were just amazing. They're really cool people. And it was great to be there. I'd never been to Sweden, so it was an amazing experience.
0: And how long have you been working with the Electric Frankenstein guys?
1: Well, last summer they did, which was uh, regrettably Steve Soto's last tour with the adolescents. I've been friends with uh, Dan and Sal for years and years and years. Uh, Electric Frankenstein and and my band, uh, PRV13, formerly the Punk Rock Vatos uh, did uh, some gigs with them at, at venues like I think the Garage and uh, Barrio Lux in Hollywood. So we've been friends and you know Dan collects the monster toys and the Japanese robots and Godzilla and all that kind of stuff. So we, we hit it off right away back then and we've been in touch and you know whenever they come to play if we weren't playing together I'd go see them. And um, so I was chatting with him online once and uh you know back then and he said that they uh that sal was going to be uh missing five of the shows they had lined up with the adolescents uh in the summer of last year and that uh um, they would need a gu- and they were looking for another guitarist so just just you know out of habit i just went well how many songs do you want me to learn and when should i fly out there and he goes are you serious and i go well, yeah sure if you guys would want me to i'd love to do it so So I ended up learning a bunch of songs and flew out and practiced once and they liked the way it sounded and I did the tour, so. And like I said, I've been friends with uh, Tony from the Adolescents for years and years, so that was great. And I I kind of just was acquainted with Steve, I didn't know him that well, not like most people, but I always liked him and we always seemed to get along, so. So it was just a no-brainer, you know, Electric Frankenstein needs a guitarist, they're touring with the Adolescents. boom, you know, I'm, I'm out there doing the tour, so. So that's how it all started. And they were happy with me, so, you know, I, obviously I can't come out to New Jersey to do just like, you know, whenever they do local shows or whatever, but the way it seems to have worked out is whenever they do like big tours or whatever, I'll be coming out rehearsing with them once or twice and then doing the tour then going back to Los Angeles.
0: They're very lucky to have you. I mean, and then you, they add an extra guitar. I mean, that's certainly great for their live show. are you doing, um, There's a, there's a tour in the summer, right?
1: Yes, we're going to be going out to Europe uh, in July. We're going to be going to, I think, to Germany, Italy, a show in the Netherlands. I can't remember where it is. God, I'm really sorry. Uh, We're doing a a big festival. It's going to be with C.J. Ramon and the Hives, and I think think that's going to be one night. And then Electric Frankenstein and the helicopters are going to be on the night before that, I think. So it's going to be a great festival.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Tell me about uh, PRB thirteen, and, and did you have to change your name, or because you you just said before uh, Punk Rock bottos and then you um, corrected yourself.
1: Well, well, what it was is when I was in Chemical People, uh, I used to be we Chemical People used to be booked by the same booking agent that booked a band called the Flower Leopards, which Tony, you know, from the adolescence sang for, and uh, when we when we played, you know, I was always a fan of the Flower Leopards from their Mystic Records days before uh, Tony joined the band. So, when we started playing together, we did a lot of shows together. When we played together, I, I was, you know, had a, made a bond with uh, the bass player, Kenny Ochoa. He is currently the manager for the the goth the gothic cholo band, the, the cholo goth uh, rap band. I guess they're a rap hip hop band, uh, Prayers. That's what he does now. He's their manager. So, but we we, uh, we became fast friends, and we you know we were both a little unhappy in our in our band situations. He was unhappy in the Flower Leopards. I was unhappy in. Uh, the chemical people and they kept asking oh you know you should join the flower leopards and i kept saying well you know it sounds like you got a lot of the kind of sounds like you guys aren't really happy you know and i don't know what's going to happen with the chemical people and we well you know one of these days when our bands break up we'll start our own band and you know evidently you know i left the chemical people the flower leopards kind of imploded and so me and kenny started started a band together the way the name comes from punk rock Vatos, I don't know if you have Vatos out here, but it's Mexican slang for like, you know, you say, hey, hey Vato, what's happening? You know, it's it's like what, what, what you say, what was Goodfellas, how they describe it in the movies. It's just like a general all-around tour, or term. So uh, we booked our, we got together, we found a drummer, we booked our first show before we even had a name. And our friend, Doreen Sanchez, she used to book this venue on the Sunset Strip called the Coconut Teaser. And we didn't have a name, you know. So she kept saying, "You know, what, you, you knuckleheads have a name yet?" So, uh, no, you know. And so finally, she had to put an ad in the paper, and she, you know, we couldn't decide on a name. So she was, "I'm just gonna call you guys the Punk Rock Vatos because you're all Mexicans," you know. Our actual first drummer was, uh, um, oh boy, like <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. It was a little little Ricky Garcia from the B movie Rats. He was the first drummer in the Punk Rock Vatos. So we were all Mexican guys. So she just said, "You know, okay, you guys are the Punk Rock Vatos." And we all looked at each other and, "Okay, yeah, it's fine." So we we kept the name together. And then over the years, I've had like a, a lot of different lineups. Uh, Dave and Ed from Chemical People sometimes would step in and be my rhythm section. It didn't work out at one point. Ronnie and Chris Crass from the Ronnie Barnett and Chris Crass from the Muffs were supposed to be a. Uh, the rhythm section that didn't really work out but it worked with all these different people and uh greg uh greg cameron the former drummer of swa when chemical people did uh, reformed in the 90s in the 90s yeah greg uh, dave naz decided he wanted to play guitar so we wanted to make the band a four piece with two guitars instead of just a trio how it used to be he thought that he was, didn't want to play drums and sing anymore he wanted to play rhythm guitar and sing so we ended up bringing in Greg Cameron from SWA, and uh, the Chemical People reunion didn't last very long, and, and uh, the, the PRVs, as I say, you know, needed, a, uh, or needed a drummer at the time. We, we didn't have a drummer, so I asked Greg, hey, would you like to step in for the show? And he said yes, and since the Chemical People ended up disbanding at that point, Greg just stayed in, in my band, and he's, he was with it ever since until you know, he moved a few years ago to, to Northern California. But that was like one of the best lineups in, in the I've ever had. It was Greg Cameron from Swan Drums, Pat Hoed from the Nip Drivers on bass, and uh, Rick Agnew of the Adolescents on guitar, lead guitar, so. And so Greg's been with me through thick and thin, up and down all, for a lot of years. And uh, the, uh, the lineup gelled when Pat left the band. And Greg had a coworker who played drums named Bobby Lee. And Bob came in and you know those. That was like my most steady lineup for years and years, and we still get to. We'll, we're still going to get together and play occasionally. Greg will still come down and play. So, uh, just a few years ago, maybe three years ago, we did a really good run. We played with the Descendants in uh, in Santa Cruz. We did the big drill car opening at Al- or the big drill car reunion in uh, at Alex's bar in Long Beach, and we played with the Rick Agnew band in Greg's uh, new ho- new hometown of Nevada City, California. So that was fun. So. It's just kind of difficult for him to drive, uh, do the eight-hour drive from uh, from Nevada City to come out and rehearse and and do gigs. So
0: will still still do it every once in a while. That is completely understandable.
1: So that's what it was. Greg left the band for a while, and then and then uh, I decided. Well, you know, without Greg, it's not the same band. You know, we're not really the punk rock Vatos anymore. You know, I think out of respect for Greg, we should we should kind of at least kind of do something with the name. So we decided to do the, the Mexican thing and do it like a Mexican gang member name. You know, so it became PRV13. So, And then when Greg came back, he's like, well, there's no choice in changing the name back. Everybody still knows. We, we're still the PRVs. Everybody knows who we are. So it doesn't really matter what we call ourselves. So, And the, the PRV logo is really cool, too. So <laughs> we kept it.
0: Can you, for the listeners, because you have quite a, a rich history in terms of who you've played with over the years, can you run down and say whatever you want to about sort of where you've been at?
1: Certainly. When I I was a teenager, my first band was this, uh, it was an odd band to describe, we were called Los Cremators. It was all Mexican guys. It was me, Paul Pablo Diablo Ruiz on vocals, uh, a Filipino guy named uh, Labrino Masalta on bass and uh, Paul's brother uh, Gabriel uh, uh, who is on drums, we used to call him Habib. We all had kind of nicknames in the band.
0: What was your nickname?
1: Uh, I don't want to say it. <laughs> it's not, you can't, say right. it, you can't say it on the air, but anyway, uh, so we, we were, <laughs> well, yeah. so we all we all, um, we, we were like this kind of crazy band. We used to, Labrino was a surfer, so we did surf covers. We did pipeline and wrote our own kind of surf instrumentals. Uh, we were really into goth, the goth of the time back in the 80s. We were really into Bauhaus. We were especially into Christian Death, uh, The Damned. Uh, you know, TSOL had just had released Dance With Me at Dance that point. Me, yes. And we were into 45 Grave, the, the, the Hell Comes to Your House, compilation was a huge influence on us. But it was mainly Christian Death, the, the only Theater of Pain album was, was just a, a gigantic influence on us. But also at the same time, we, were, we, we loved like these hardcore bands. We loved The Misfits. We loved uh, this band called, I don't know if you've heard of them, they're a band called Discharge from uh, England. <laughs> we, had this, we, we had the Decontrol single and we used to play that endlessly at, at, our, uh, at our practice room. So we were kind of a little bit of all those things, surf, uh, you know, we did a couple of oldies just for, for a goof.
0: But weren't your songs really, really short?
1: They were really short and really fast. Our originals were really short and really fast and kind of like us trying to be Discharge, you know. With our own beat though, not the blast beat that Discharge used, but like a, a double time beat because that was what, you know, that was that was the best thing that, that Gabe could play. So <laughs> so all of our songs revolved around that pretty much. And our slower songs were like, sounded like dogs from Christian Death. Those were like kind of more, kind of, yeah.
0: So you said you were 16? Around then, yeah, Sorry, around
1: 16, 17, yeah.
0: When did you start playing guitar?
1: Probably around like four... I mean, I always wanted to. I was one of the, I was from the Beatles generation. You know, when I was a kid, I was growing up. I used to see those reruns of the Beatles playing on um, on the Ed Sullivan Show, and then they used to show a Hard Day's Night and Help on TV all the time, or at the or at the Kitty Matinees. So I was just obsessed with the Beatles. So ever since I was a little tiny kid, as long as I can remember, I would just. Just watch the Beatles and just be in awe. Just stare at their record covers and just go, man. I want hair like that and I want to dress like that and I want to be in a rock band. You know. Who's so,
0: your favorite Beatle?
1: You know, my favorite Beatles have always been pretty much George because he's the lead guitarist, and Ringo was the was the you know Ringo's the because I started out playing drums, so I started out playing drums. I went to bass, and then I just said, you know what? I want to be the I want to be the lead guitar player. That's what I want to be. So. And you are. Yes.
0: <laughs> so after uh, Los Cremators.
1: Well, the plan was, for we were from a place called Santa Maria, California, which is on the central coast, located pretty much right between San Francisco and Los Angeles. So we used to drive, you know, we were a little closer to Los Angeles instead of San Francisco, so the, the punk rockers in that area, the central coast scene, they were kind of split, The 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 punk rockers that were in the San Luis Obispo area, which is a little north of us, a little closer to San Francisco, they were a little more into the San Francisco scene. They were a little more political, maybe a little more, uh, you know, a little less gothic, a little more into the uh, kind of more political kind of side of things. And, uh, you know, they had the spiky hair, they had the leather jackets with the one sleeve painted red, the one sleeve painted blue and, you know. And, you know, we were, we were dressing in thrift store vampire clothing, <laughs> you know, we were, we're kind of like, you know, it was the cholo goth thing back then. We were wearing pleated pants, you know, hush puppies or, or else Cuban heel boots like the Beatles. And, you know, uh, an influence from, uh, from Jack of T.S.O.L., we'd go out and get those old uh, tuxedo shirts with the uh, frills on the, on the front. And that was that was our look, the Los Cremators look, you know, because you know, like Los Angeles had more of a gothic scene than than San Francisco did. So we used to drive up. To, it was it was a shorter to drive up to Los Angeles than it was to to drive uh, to San Francisco to us. So that's where we went to see shows, and, and we went to you know, we lived at the Whiskey A Gogo practically the Roxy. Uh, we never went to the Starwood because we were always afraid of getting beat up beaten up by the so- suicidal tendencies gangs, you know. So,
0: sorry,
1: I'm sure that's not. Funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, but. I ended up missing the last Germs performance because of that. We were in town for that. And I remember, like, going to, like, a, this shop called Poser on Melrose and just saying, man, we're going to, you know, I, I had long hair back then like I do now. And um, I remember just telling some of the people that worked there, yeah, we're going to go see the Germs tonight. And there's a couple of the girls working behind the, you know, behind the... Uh, the counter just said I, I don't think you better go you know you'll probably get beaten up to be honest with you, you know by the Huntington Beach skinheads that show up and I was like well okay it looks like we're going to the whiskey again tonight so
0: that's so funny that they were legendary like for me being on the east coast like I always heard about the Huntington Beach like scene mm. um and I and that's that's the first time anybody's referenced it like in terms of like real time and real experience and I'm just like oh wow oh that." Like, and and
1: on family. one trip to LA, me and me and Diablo, the singer, we did end up going to the, the legendary Cuckoo's Nest in Costa Mesa, which was like that's what their their haven. But at the time, I had just cut my hair. You know, like we were really into the Germs, really into TSOL, really you know into those bands. So when I did cut my hair, I, I for one just for one short period, I had the longest rat tail known to man. You know, the, the Don from the Germs and, and Darby, they all had rat tails. So when I thought, well, I'm going to cut my hair. I'm going to keep you know it was long, so I'm going to keep keep my keep a rat tail. So. So we did go, in, and it, it was—it was like the first time we'd ever been exposed to that kind of, you know, really, really intense slam pit. Where it wasn't, you know, we came from the old days. So, you know, in the Santa Barbara scene, the the, the Hollywood scene, it was an actual dance. You'd go in a circle. You'd, you would know, do. They called they called it the Huntington Beach skank at the time. You'd go, you know, kind of just kind of like influenced by madness and bands like that you know but you do it in a circle if someone fell down you'd stop everybody would stop you'd pick them up you'd put them back into the rotation you know if people stage dived you'd catch them you know it was all about putting them back into rotation it was very very supportive that's what what you'd call it I guess and then going and it was a real culture shock for us to go to the cuckoo's nest and just see guys punching each other and you know big muscular guys, and so we, we, we just said, well, this this isn't for us, you know, this isn't what we dig, so. It happened to be a Circle Jerk show, by the way, too, and the Circle Jerks were great that night. It was the original band with Lucky on drums, yeah, Roger on bass.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, the, the New York scene had the same thing, like, people wouldn't even hit the ground and you'd get them before they, you know, before they'd go down, but then it was sort of maybe 82 or 83 when things all of a sudden shifted, and I couldn't go in the pit anymore. Like It was like, oh, now it's dangerous, and people there were people there to actually beat other people up. But in New York, you never knew. It wasn't like it was territorial, like you're describing.
1: It's another thing I want to point out is that I'm from that generation where I got to see the old, you know, I wasn't there for the original kind of 77 stuff. I was too little at the time. But, you know, around 16, 15, 16 years old, I, my brother, I had a brother that lived in Hollywood. He lived on Sweetser Avenue right below um, Sunset. So as a 14, 15 year old, I'd go stay with him and say, oh, gee, I'm going to walk up to the Whiskey A Go-Go and see these punk rock bands. I think they're really cool, you know. Walk in, you know, and I can, at 14, 15, I can go walk in. Hey, can I have a picture of beer? You know, like, yeah, sure, kid, here you go, you know. <laughs> so I got to see a lot of really cool, I saw the weirdos, I saw the middle class, I saw X several times. So, but that was my indoctrination, and I got to go to the Café de Grand and a lot of cl- clubs like that. So my indoctrination as a kid, a young impressionable kid still, was, was seeing that part of the scene. You know, it hadn't been taken over by the, uh, the, the tough guys yet. There's a lot of women involved in the scene, a lot of colors, a lot of Mexican people, some black people, a lot of Asian people. A lot, but a lot of women, you know, a lot of different colors, a lot of sexes, and that was my thing. That was... It, you know I was still my brain was still fragile It was still capable of being influenced so that was to me that was what punk rock was all about you know I was a huge fan of Blondie when I was a kid the B-52 so women were always involved gay people were always involved a lot of different colors were always involved and kind of you know it's not like I blame the Circle Jerks and Black Flag but when those bands kind of came in and kind of and the germs to an extent also when the kind of more hardcore thing kind of came in I love Discharge too I guess there there's a lot of people in LA that were into Discharge but I mean, as that kind of influence kind of pervaded, the kind of the suburban tough guys, the former football players who used to beat you up for being into punk rock, they kind of got into it at that point, And that's when all the violence started, it seemed like bands like X, I guess you would say the alley cats who were one of the best bands in the world. The plugs, you know, those are a lot of my favorite bands. They kind of didn't really speak to, I think, the suburban football players who would beat you up for having pink hair or blue hair or whatever. And, you know, having a germ circle sticker on your on your lunchbox or whatever but then when certain you know when these kind of more kind of aggressive bands like black flag and the circle jerks came along i think they were kind of a little more they can tune into that they could tune tune into that anger a little bit more cuz it was male you know this a lot of the songs are about not getting girls you know which and that has a that definitely has a place in the punk rock scene but in a way like must like i guess you would say like how a lot of people warp uh, the the influence or the uh, the message of religion you know they kind of didn't quite, their brains weren't wired correctly, so they, they heard these messages these bands were, were putting in their songs. They weren't processing them the right way, yeah. and things kind of shifted, so that, I got to see that actual transition take place, and it was heartbreaking at the time, so that's why I kind of like veered a little more into the gothic scene, because there were still women involved there, but not so much, everybody had their faces painted white, you know, right. so it wasn't like a lot of color, but... You know, I love uh, Rainy Days and gloom, gloom and the Universal Monster movies. so that kind of whole, you know, the white face with the black clothes, that, that really appealed to me, and, and there were women involved, so I kind of veered a little more into that kind of thing after that.
0: Well, it sounds like the punk rock scene went from being very inclusive to in, towards everyone to sort of then boxing people out who had, uh, who had originally felt safe.
1: Yes, yes, definitely, definitely.
0: That, that would be heartbreaking to see.
1: And it's funny because, you know, you, when you talk to Keith Morris, you realize he's not like that at all. He doesn't really have much in common with those big, like, skinhead guys that would go to circle jerk shows, you know. Yeah. But but somehow they just tuned into that. And like I said, like, kind of like this, how these people warp the message of religion. They were kind of not getting, they just weren't processing the information correctly in their brains. There was some bad wiring there. And it, yes. met, and, it, and it ruined things for everybody. Yeah.
0: So then, moving forward into you being in the goth scene and then playing with bands, who did you play with first in sort of that?
1: Well, that's what happened. You know, uh, Los Cremators were like a, 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 a gumbo, you know, of, of surf, surf, goth, hardcore, all that stuff. And we were planning on moving from Santa Maria to to uh, Los Angeles. We had appeared on a Central Coast compilation called "This Is the Central Coast." Damn it, we had four songs on there. And we, we had a reputation. We were we were kind of like a in, in the local area. We were a draw, but bad things happened when we played. You know, we were we were kind of like the germs. We had that whole kind of like curse on us, where like we would play and just our music was kind of so weird and intense. Like odd things would happen. You know, so we kind of were banned on in the uh, even though we were like we were like the OGs, the original gangsters of that scene. We were kind of ended up getting kind of shunned as the scene in the Central Coast got kind of bigger. As they were started booking, the you know they came and book the Dead Kennedys and I remember going oh man we're you know and I just as soon as it was announced hey the Dead Kennedys are going to play in San, in San Luis Obispo we're like hey we're going to play with the Dead Kennedys and then we were, were like no you guys can't play so why well because something bad will happen because something bad always happens when you you guys play and we're like well we're a punk rock band what do you want from us you know and, um, so they, and then it, as it ended up, the city ended up, uh, you know, banning the show anyway, Jello Biafra went on local TV and just said, this was more kind of, <laughs> you know, the authorities against the kids type thing. So it didn't really matter. But at that point we're like, you know, we need to get out of here. We, we, we belong in Los Angeles. We were, we belong in Hollywood. We would fit perfectly into the Hollywood scene. Mm-hmm. So we, we decided we're Los Cremators going to move to Hollywood. So they sent me up first to kind of scope things out and, make sure, of, and then the other guys just didn't end up following me, so I, end, I was by myself, so I thought, well, what am I going to do? And uh, I was broke, and that's when I ended up working at Hollywood Book and Poster for Eric Caden. Uh, it was the old location on Las Palmas, right above Hollywood Boulevard, and since I was so broke, I couldn't just, and I didn't know where any of the really good thrift stores were, and I was just scrounging for, you know, food to eat anyway, scrounging for rent, so I ended up wearing uh, hand-me-down clothes, you know, as a regular hand-me-down rose. So if someone would give me, like, a tan pair of pants, I'd, I'd be, instead of wearing black and being, like, this Mexican vampire guy, I'd be wearing, like, you know, a, a T-shirt that said, like, you know, Club Med on it that someone gave me and, like, tan, you know, pants or whatever with, you know, with the, like, cargo pants or whatever. And then uh, Eric, bless his heart, you know, he'd give me a lot of promo shirts from the store. So I'd be wearing like, you know, a shirt that said The Terminator on it or, you know, any any of those Charles Band movies, you know. So uh, so I didn't kind of, you know, and I'd still go to goth shows, but I stuck out like a sore thumb. Everybody else is like dressed in all these great black clothes. And here I am looking like I just walked in from, you know, (laughs) picking up clothes out of a dumpster or whatever. So I was trying to get into a, a, a gothic band in L.A. that just didn't really work out. And then I ended up meeting Dave Naz from Chemical People. He was a, a guy that collected movie posters, as I do, and he would come into Hollywood Book and Posters. So, And as the story goes, you know, we were, we were talking one day, and he asked me, hey, are, are you sicky wife-beater from The Mentors? And I just started laughing. Cause, cause <laughs> that I, is cause the greatest I, thing. Because I knew El Duce, you know, and that was kind of one of my jobs at Hollywood Book and Posters. El Duce used to, you know, crash in the bushes Overnight at, at the um, at the at this park right above this, you know, above up the street from Hollywood Book and Poster, next to this welfare hotel. If he couldn't get a if he couldn't get a get a room in the welfare hotel, you oh, I'm just going to go sleep in the bushes, you know, at the, at the park. <laughs> so when El, when Eldon, you know, as we called him, would come in, you know, if he was really if he was kind of kind of sober and just telling jokes, then it was great, you know he could stay there for hours but then if he was like really drunk and really obnoxious I, w- I was the wrangler i'd have to wrangle him out of the store and eric would like you know just get him out of here get him out of here he'd open up the register and give me like five bucks I'd like take him up the street and buy him a quart of beer or something <laughs> just, just get him out of the store you know so that that was one of the great perks about working for eric is that you know i, I got to drink beer with el Duce when el, eldon was a little out of control you know so uh, so so dave asked me and he said oh yeah i play good, i played drums for the last you know cause I, I think i asked him well who are you and it's like i play drums for the last and i go but you're just you know he was only like 16 17 years old and i go well, you play drums for the last they're like an old school band he goes no no they they broke up kind of and they're getting back together and i'm their new drummer's like oh wow so he asked me if i wanted to go see them and i went to go see them and then he, he, he mentioned hey i have my own band called chemical people and our guitarist just left we, we recorded half an album you know and would you like to come audition for us so i said yeah that'd be great and you know i had this really crappy guitar at the time it wasn't any good and i didn't even have an amp i, I had an amp but it was like this little fender deluxe reverb with, you know with it with a distortion pedal that i would just use at home to rehearse with it, it wasn't stage ready or even good for it was okay for rehearsal i guess but but he had a whole setup at his house so you know he introduced me to ed the bass player and we jammed a couple of times and and Dave just took me aside one day and goes, you know, you're, you're in the band, you know, it's like, Ed doesn't, isn't sure about you, but he'll come around, you know, if you, he's, he, he, if he, you know, you've been playing with us for like, you've know, played with us four times already, and if he hasn't said no, this, he hasn't said no, this guy sucks, or whatever, so... I think it's going to work out. So just you're in the band pretty much. So I said, oh, okay, great. So next thing I know, I'm I'm in Chemical People. And the funny story about that is like, you know, after we had been kind of together and, you know, after I worked on their first finishing their first album with them, I asked, hey, did any other guys come in, you know, that uh, you guys were thinking of besides me? And they go, well, you know, every once in a while we jam with Pat. And I went to, you know, who, who Pat, who? a oh, Pat Smear from the Germs. And I went, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, but Pat, you know, he's, he's kind of just doing his own thing, you know, and he doesn't really want to be in a band. But, you know, he would just come over to jam. He's a really nice guy. I went, wow, that's cool. And they go, yeah, but the only other guy we played with a lot was uh, was this guy named Arthur. And it just as a joke, I just went, oh, who, Arthur, Killer Kane from the New York Dolls? And they go, yeah, Arthur, he was really a nice guy. He used to play in that band, the New York Dolls. And I went, <laughs> Are you joking? And they went, "No, but you know, he wasn't, you know, he was a really nice guy and we liked playing with him, but he didn't he wasn't he didn't really work out. He's a lot older than us. He didn't really yeah. work, you know. It wasn't really oh going to work that's with crazy. him." Yeah, so. Wow. So I, I had some big uh, footsteps or uh, shoes to fill as they would say. So yes. but that's how I ended up in chemical people and then there was the down by law debacle where I the chemical people and uh, all with Dave Smalley used to tour a lot and we, we were, they were we were like their little brother band. Right and uh... Dave Smalley said he wanted to start, he, when he left All, he decided he wanted to start his own band and, he, and it, I think the original Down By Law was actually supposed to be Dave Naz on drums I, it was, was going to be Michael Corsio from the three o'clock and uh, from the three o'clock on bass and Bill Bartell from White Flag on guitar that was the original projected lineup of Down By Law and I think Michael didn't show up for practice a few times so they brought in Ed and then Ed stuck stuck around and then for some reason, Bill started kind of, it was busy with some other stuff. I think maybe he's working on a Tater Tots new release or something. So and then Dave lost his patience with him and he said, let's just, and they said, let's just bring Jamie in and he'll be the guitarist. You know, so it was the first Down By Law on the first album. I recorded that first album with him. It was basically the Chemical People with, with Dave Smalley singing. But I'm a, I'm a guy that's very opinionated. I put my, uh, my foot in my mouth quite a bit. So I, I didn't like the way Dave played rhythm guitar, you know, he had the chemical wow. people, like one of the tightest bands in the world, backing him up, and then you'd have Dave Smalley on top of it, you know, playing this kind of, what I call the jingle jangly type of uh, guitar sound, which, was, he, which he likes that, and that's why he writes songs, yeah. but it, it would throw me off kind of, because I was into the Johnny Ramone downstrokes, very precise, very tight with the bass player, yeah, very true. tight with the rhythm section. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I said, you know, hey, Dave, you know, you're a great singer. Why don't you just, why don't you just be the singer? And I will I can handle, you know, we're, we were, we're experienced three-piece. I can handle the, uh, I can handle a guitar playing on my own. But that was one of his things. He really wanted to play guitar. So, and I didn't like the mix. When I got the rough mix of the of the first album, I, I, I just didn't like the mix at all. It sounded, it's to me, it sounded like an Epitaph record. Yeah. And to me, we weren't an ep, we weren't from the Epitaph school. We were from the the sst school you know chemical people were influenced by the last definitely by the descendants and black flag you know Mm -hmm. we were tight downstrokes. yes practice every night for you know seven nights a week at least three four hours a night and you know to me you know epitaph was like bad religion i'm not a big bad religion fan no effects i'm not really what you call a no effects fan l7 i'm not really what you call an l7 fan but that's what brett wanted from from down by law and dave smalley was was that guy to give him what he wanted, and I, so I just started complaining a lot, and they ended up kicking me out. So, oh, okay. so that was my down you did by. Credit loss on career. that record? No, I asked. I, I was so angry at him because because the way they did it was really. It, it was not a good way to do it, you know. I, I found they booked basically they booked a gig at the Palladium, opening for down, for for uh, for Bad Religion, and I'm like, oh, I get to play the Palladium, you know. And I started making phone calls, when am I gonna rehearse? When am I gonna rehearse? And everybody's like, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. The next thing I know, I found out that they had already replaced me. They, none of them had the nerve to tell me. Which, I'm sorry, guys, but it's a cowardly way to do things, you know. So. So I felt stabbed in the back. So I told him, you know what? If you're, if, if you're probably just going to go in and have the new guy, which was Chris Bagarozzi, great guy. I love him. Great from Clawhammer. Great yeah. guitarist. At least they put somebody good in there. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't an insult. Well,
0: they had to to keep the yeah. the quality that you would put in to keep that steady at least. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: so I love bags. So I'm glad they got him and not just some scrub, you know. But yeah. but I said, you know, if I, you guys are probably going to go in and, and have the new guy, you know, re, re, retract the guitar. But if you don't, please just keep my name off of it. You know, I'm really angry at you guys, so just put my name, keep my, so I'm not credited on that album. Chris is credited on the album, but it's actually me playing uh, guitar on the first Down by Law album. Wow. So, do you
0: regret that? Like, telling them to take your name off?
1: No, I don't. I, I'm, I'm a total put my foot in my mouth guy. <laughs> okay, so you are own up a, to it. I now. have a fetish for putting my foot in my mouth. So. <laughs> but, you know, that's just the way I am, and that's just the way I, I do things, and... To me, it's their loss, you know. Yeah. I, I've, been, uh, I've been, I've been, I've either left over, you know, reasons like that, or been asked to leave uh, bands for those same reasons. As so it's that's just how I am. And so, as I, I have an old saying, when uh, Jaime Pena is either asked to leave or leaves a band, the band suffers from what I call a musical vasectomy. <laughs> you know, and it's it's their loss, not mine. So I can walk away with my head held high. They are the ones that got to explain, you know. They have to do the explaining. But not you me.
0: did the tracks on that record, though. Yeah,
1: you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I just said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to start my own band. So that's when the, that's when PR that's when the PRV started. Punk Rock Vatos. Me and uh, you know the Chemical People. Eventually, what happened is because of Down by Law, Dave and Ed and, and the two Daves and Ed kicking me out of Down by Law. There was no way I'm just going to go back with my tail between my legs and keep playing with the Chemical People. So we did, you know, we did a couple more shows and. Uh, we did an all instrumental album and then dave wanted to do another album and he started saying you know well i have a lot of ideas about the new album i want to put in a lot more acoustic guitar parts and i was like well that seals my fate in this band you know i know who's going to want to play you know dave was a guitar player who wrote the the song so i was like that i i guess i already know what the answer is if i if i ask him who's going to play acoustic guitar in this record so i just thought i better leave before they kick me out of this one so i left the chemical people you know and to be fair dave took me aside and just said I really don't want you to go you know I know it's I know it's a tough situation with us playing in down by law and uh, you know being in this band but I, you, I really want you to stay in this band but I just I just couldn't do it you know it was too, too much honor at stake there for me so so that's when the PRV start the uh, the flower leopards broke up right about that point you know I'd left chemical people get on the phone with, with Kenny Ochoa and we started up our band so so then after that I kind of was kind of doing that band and, and At the time, I was raising my son, my three-legged cat, Jake. I don't have any actual children, but I had this cat from my... I got married and got divorced. My ex-wife was a big cat person, so we ended up getting a couple of cats. And my cat was this cat named Jake, this three-legged cat. And, uh, you know, Kenny was into cats, so our he, Jake became, he's, to this day, he's the, he's the logo of the Punk Rock Vatos, you know, a three-legged cat named Jake. I used to draw these little pictures of him wearing, like, with a crutch or, like, a, a bionic leg, mm-hmm. standing up like a human and wearing this leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> so, to this day, Jake is our logo, Jake the Three-Legged Cat. So, um, I just was doing that for a long time, so we, we weren't doing a lot of shows out of town. We'd play shows out of town, maybe... Once in a while, but there were so many venues t- in Los Angeles to play in Hollywood. We were playing once, twice a month. Mm-hmm. You know, Alex's b- or Al's Bar, not Alex's. I'm sorry, didn't come to there. Al's Bar in downtown, the Coconut Teaser, uh, the Garage, Bar Deluxe. All the you know, all these great venues, little venue, the uh, uh, places I can't even remember anymore. But in Hollywood, you could go to Hollywood Boulevard, basically throw a rock in any direction, and there'd be like a band where punk rock ba- or a, a venue where punk rock bands could play. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't that concerned about Going on tour and stuff like that, and I didn't really want to leave my cat, you know, with anybody because he I, he was such a special little cat. So the uh, years just kind of went by, and I just kind of lost track of what was happening. We were playing so much, I didn't really, I didn't really say to myself, "Hey, you should get on the road. You should get get it together and try and go out and tour." You know. So uh, I was I in I, I met Rick Agnew, and I, I was always a huge fan of Rick. So big fan of the Adolescents, big fan of Di, huge Christian Death fan. And when Rick and I met, we just really hit it off. And so, as a result of that, years later, when Rick was playing in uh, Dinah Cancer and the Forty Five Grave Robbers, uh, he kept, you know, I, he kept saying, you know, yeah, you know, we got this other guitarist in the band, uh, but you know, I I would rather you be in the band. So, if anything happens with him, I'm going to tell you know Mary Dinah Cancer. I, you know, I really we should really bring Himes into the band. That's what my, all my bandmates call me Himes, you know, for Jaime, Jaime. So. And, and even before that, I used to see her at Hollywood and Poster, and I'd say, "Hey, if you ever need a guitar player, you should call me." You know? and she never she not she never really knew who Chemical People were, or Down by Law, any of those bands. That was out right. of her era, so she she just knew me as the goofball guy from uh, Hollywood and Poster that wore the bad clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I want this guy on stage with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the guy that
1: wasn't dressed in all black is going to join the uh, the Queen of Death Rock. You right. know. But uh, as as it turns out, when there was a day when the guy, the other guitarist, left Forty Five Grave, and Lisa Fur was playing in the band at this point, point. and I had known Lisa Fur from the PRVs playing shows with Snap, her her other band with uh, Andy, formerly the Creamers, and they they were the Nina Hagen band. They were the, Nina Hagen's backup band at one point. Remember that? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So her and I knew each other, and, and you know, one day, just goes, "Hey, come, come to practice. Let me let me introduce you, and let's see what happens." So, not don't bring your guitar. Just just come and watch us play. Just hang out. You know. And, you know, Rick and I were great at hanging out together, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if there was booze and, and weed, you know, involved in the mix. And at practice, there always is, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and so, so one day I just get this call. Hey, you know, we, I think we got married, convinced that you're the guy to join the band. So I said, OK, so I brought my guitar to the rehearsal spot. It was my first time. You know, I, I learned all the songs as, as well as I could. Paul, you know, the 45 Grave songs. Paul Cutler is an amazing guitarist. It was not easy trying to. And I, some parts I couldn't figure out. I had to figure out cheats that sounded close enough to where they'd it'd be able to convince people. Yeah, okay, he's he's doing it close enough. It sounds good. You mm-hmm. know, there's Paul Cutler is a genius. He's like Rick. There, he's just a genius. There's parts of Christian Death songs I couldn't figure out until Rick showed them to me later on. But wow. and and even Rick just said, I, I can't figure out this part. Well, how should we do this this part? You know, with forty five graving. You know, because I want to stay. We, we both we made a blood oath that we wanted to stay faithful to Paul Cutler's guitar playing in that band. So uh, we we, uh, we figure out part, how, how to get around certain parts, how to use two guitars to, to cover what Paul did with one guitar, and I ended up in 45 Grave. And uh, it was great, we had all these great plans. We went on tour, uh, Rick and Mary got into a small disagreement in New Orleans, and the next thing she you knows, she's like, we're sending him home on the bus. And that put me in a really difficult position because Lisa Fur and the guy that was playing drums were both uh, agreed with her, Rick needs to go home, you know. And, and I was like, because Rick got drunk and they got into an argument, that, that's, you know, you guys, don't you know, this is Rick Agnew, the unpredictable right. Rick Agnew, you know, right. he tends to do things like that. Okay. You know, if you're his friend, yeah. then you know that the next day he gets, over, you know, just, it's forgotten about the next day, you know, and yeah. it's no big deal, you know, he, he tends to do that. And he, they sent him home and well, I, I was... Yeah, don't bust up the tour for Don't it. bust I mean, up the tour, Yeah. But it made me look good because, or it, it was, it, you know, I mean, it made me look good because I was just, the, you know, it's Rick Agnew, so I'm not going to play solos, you know, with Rick Ag. When, he, when Rick was playing in my band in the PRVs, I would just say, "Okay, Rick, you're the lead guitarist. I'm just going to do the the, the the rhythm stuff," you know. So I had to basically learn all the arrangements that Rick was playing. I had, I had to basically you know condense two guitar player stuff into me being a single guitarist and do the solos and do all the flourishes that Rick was doing. Mm-hmm. So in a way it was, it was kind of good for me because I, I had to learn that stuff overnight the next she, she kicked him out in, uh, in Orleans was it New Orleans and then the next night we had to play right so I had to figure all this I had to learn how to play surf bat you know I was just doing the, the rhythm chords on that I had to learn how to do all this stuff so. So regrettably, we kicked Rick out, but it was a good learning experience for me to, and it proved something to me: hey, I'm, I can, I can do this. I can learn this. I can learn stuff really fast. So Did that. Did you
0: ever really think you couldn't, or you hadn't been I, pushed in that way?
1: I hadn't really thought about it. it. Didn't it? Didn't it wasn't? It was never an issue. You know, can you learn this stuff and learn how? You know, right. I took my time learning the 45 Grave songs because I knew eventually I'd probably end up in the band at some point. Right. That was another thing too: is that. Uh, some po- at some point we were called the F- Dinah Cancer and the Forty Five Grave Robbers when I joined the band. She ended up negoti. Paul Cutler owns the uh, copyright to the name Forty Five Grave. She ended up negotiating a deal to use the name, so we actually became forty 40- the new Forty Five Grave. Oh, okay. So we were we, we it was Rick Agnew, Lisa Fur, and I that started that whole ball rolling for the uh, the franchise that uh, Dinah Cancer is currently working right now. So mm. we we were the we were the ones that got that ball rolling. So uh me being loyal to rick and all that as soon as the tour was over it was just decided well you know you're rick's friend you know i you you don't really belong in the band without rick you know you, you should you shouldn't be in the band. You know, I'm going to start auditioning new people. And she actually had the nerve to ask me, or not, not even me. Uh, Dinah Cancer's management sent me an email saying, you know, you are currently terminated from uh, its duties in Forty Five Grave. If you would like to remain in the band, you shall have to submit a tape and come to an audition. <laughs> and I thought after I've been doing this, after all that stuff I did on tour, learning the songs, you know, what was from I was like
0: because it could have gone a totally different way yeah. it could have been like I don't know I only know the rhythm stuff had it not been you exactly. and then they would have looked terrible like you totally totally came to bat for them yeah it, it,
1: it was the it was the Latin man in me just said you know what you you, you, you know you could shove that you could shove that email up your ass I'm not gonna go audition what the hell's wrong with you so you know I, I, I don't think that she would have asked me to stay in the band but I, 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 I just wasn't gonna go that, r- that route with her so I'm not in 45 grave anymore yeah. So what's the first thing I do? I call Rick Agnew. Of you know, but I mean, we, we were we were on on the tour. We were on through the you know through email. We were like and chatting. We were still kind of, in, after he got home, we were still in touch. You know, how's things going? I was like, well, it sucks without you here. You know, my my buddy's out of the band. You know, I'm. I'm but just,
0: how was he? Was he like? Remorseful? Was he bummed out, or was he just pissed off? We, or somewhere else.
1: Kind of, kind of in the middle. You know, mm-hmm. we start referring to Mary as Frau Blucher. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so how's Frau Blucher? You know, and then I'd, I'd send back you know a message in parentheses, horse noises. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, th- so then we go. You know, so it, then it became like almost a revenge fantasy. Well, what can we do? You know, we, we have to derail that whole forty-five grave thing. So we so we start plotting like two witches in front of a cauldron. You know, what are we gonna do? You know, we're well, we're gonna start a, a superstar goth band. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get uh, we're gonna me. It's gonna be me and you, Rick Agnew, Jamie Pina. We're gonna get Ava, Ava Ortiz, formerly of the uh, Super Heroines. She's going to be our singer. She's a way better singer than Dinah Cancer. This, this is what we're going to do. So that was the plan. Uh, I was talking with George, the former George uh, Bellinger, the former uh, drummer of 45 Grave. And I told him, yeah, you know, Rick and I are going to do this. This is what happened with 45 Grave. You know, and we're going to get Ava to sing. So George was like, I wouldn't mind playing drums. So I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, even though George lived in Missouri, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll fly out for rehearsal and gigs. So, so George is going to be our drummer. And I get a message from George. Hey, guess what? So what? Uh, I've been in touch with James McGerty, the bass player of, uh, of Christian Death. And he's interested in maybe doing this project, too. And I was like, well, it's, it's basically Christian Death at this point, you know, w- without Roz, you know. So... All of a sudden, so I'm, I'm plotting. We're planning. We're gonna, me and Rick are gonna start writing songs. We're, this is all just in the talking phases at this point. We hadn't gotten together to rehearse. And when me and Rick and Ava would get together, all we do is just stay in my apartment, smoke pot, and watch horror movies and, and laugh our asses off. You know, and, and drink a lot of beer. And but we're talking about this is what we're gonna do this is what we're gonna do this is what we're gonna do and one of one of the great things we're gonna do is we're we're gonna cover Acid Queen the Tina Turner version you know from the Tommy soundtrack, and we were gonna do this crazy voodoo swampy version of These Arms of Mine by Otis Redding with Ava singing, with all minor chords and we, we were just gonna we had such big plans. And then all of a sudden, I get an email from George. Well, guess what? So what? Well, we're not going to do this, uh, this superstar thing ever. We're just going to go ahead and do a full-on Christian death reunion. So the 25th anniversary is coming up. We're going to do the album. And I was like, oh, okay. So I just assumed, well, I I'm, wasn't an original member of 45 Grave, or wasn't an original Christian death. I wasn't a, an original member of Christian death. I guess I'm out of the picture. So George keeps telling me, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And so one day, just you know, I just decided, hey, I'm 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 going to say something. So I just went, hey, George, if you guys ever need a, a second guitarist in the band, let me know. And he goes, well, what are you talking about? And I go, well, you know, it's a it's a Christian Death reunion. I wasn't in Christian Death. It's all the original members, you know, without Roz. And he goes, it, it goes without saying, you're in you're in the band, you know. And he goes, besides, you know, I, when I asked Rick, Rick said, yeah, of course, Heims is involved. I always wanted a second guitarist in Christian Death anyway, and you know, that's the, that's our guy, you know. So I was like, oh boy. <laughs> I was in 45 grave. Now I'm in Christian death. Holy mackerel, you know? So uh, Mary and, and Ava are kind of m- much alike in their ways. So, you know, Rick was in a bad way at the time, and we were all trying to be really supportive of him, especially me and James. And, uh, and somehow they ended up, Ava decided she didn't want George in the band. So George was asked to, to not be in the band. She brought in her and Roz's friend Christian to play drums. I can't stand that guy. He wasn't really a good enough. I mean, he was. He could do the songs, and I thought, well, look, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to put my foot in my mouth and ruin, you know, me being in Christian Death. You know, that would be stupid. So, we uh, we we sent Rick to rehab. We did. We did like this one big show at the Henry Fonda Theater, and uh, it was great. And then Rick was in a bad way, so we said Rick needs to go to rehab. You know, so we sent Rick to rehab, and I thought, well, Rick will come out of rehab, and then we'll uh, we'll be uh, we'll do some shows, and then we'll start maybe touring after we after he's got his legs back. And Ava goes and books a tour of Europe, scheduled for a couple of days after Rick gets out of rehab. And I was like, what are you thinking? It's not a good idea, you know. And and the other guys in the band just kind of went along with it, and I'm like. You know, no you know you can't do this to the poor guy you know put him out he's got he's got to work on his on his rehab he's got to get he's got to get it, get it together and of course like you know rick ended up drinking on the tour went back to his old ways and and it the the band imploded so i, I left they did two more shows without me and and they got a, you know another james left the band also they got a guy to replace james and rick just played guitar by himself and that was the end of christian death so that ended ugly also so that was two bands i'm 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 uh, it's like a curse. I started thinking, God, am I cursed or something? <laughs> I'm ruining all these great opportunities. So I was in 45 Grave. The next year I was in Christian Death. Those bands both went belly up. So one of the last shows I played with 45 Grave without Rick was the show in uh, Fresno at a tattoo convention. And these, and when we get to the gig, these, I didn't know anything about what was going on. But these, these people came kept saying, yeah, Black Flag's going to play. And I was like, Black Flag? But you know, I don't. I don't think so. You know? Oh yeah, Black Flag's gonna play. And I was like, okay, whatever. Turns out it was Black Fag, the comedy, uh, the comedy version. You know, the the, the kind of like they dressed in as gay stereotypes and came out and played Black Flag songs, but with lyrics pertaining to the gay lifestyle.
0: Did you watch them?
1: I, yeah, and I laughed my ass off. I thought, oh my god, these guys are so funny. You know. And so I, I, I knew my days in Forty Five Grave were numbered at that point. I still, we still hadn't talked about the the Christian death thing, so I just told them, "Hey, here's my information. You know, if you guys ever need a guitar p- player, I can play those Black Flag songs, just because they sounded just like Black Flag. That was part of the humor of the thing. They were a dead on, pretty much, pretty dead on version of, of playing the Black Flag songs with these lyrics about, you know, instead of my war, it was my wardrobe." <laughs> <laughs> They were hilarious, you know, so uh, so after Christian death breaks up, I find out, hey, black black fag needs a guitar player. So I thought, hey, I'll put on a dress and, and be, you know, so I ended up for one year. I ended up wearing a dress and, you know, and at first they wanted because, you know, that that was always kind of the thing. The, um, the traditionally the guitar player in black fag always either dressed as Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz or dressed in the Karma Miranda outfit with the long skirt and the uh, the fruit hat, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I've I've never dressed in drag before, but I thought, well, if I'm going to do drag, I want to do how how Jamie would do drag, you know. And so at first I thought, you know, what I'm going to do? I'm going to come out and dress like the guy uh, uh, Al Pacino's lover in a Dog Day Afternoon, you know, the slippers and the bathrobe and the kind of You know the stubble, you know with the with the mascara and the hair up and the thing. And then they go, "No, you can't really do that." So, so I I went to some of my ex-girlfriends. I said, "Hey, let me me go through your lawn, or let me go through your old dresses. What do you got for me?" You know. So they they all kind of gave me donated fishnets, and I looked great in a little black dress. That was my (laughs) thing, you know. And then uh, uh, after a couple of shows, some of the black fag female fans were like, "Oh, I bought this dress for you. I want you to wear it the next show," you know. So. My favorite one was what I called the ruby red slippers dress. It was like this really nice dress with like red sparkles all around it. So next thing you know, I'm, I've become this, you know, this uh, guy that, that dresses really well in women's clothes, you know, even though that wasn't my thing. <laughs> and uh, and then, you know, that didn't really work. There's a lot of weird conflict in the band, you know, and, and I, I, so I, I quit Black Fat. You looked better than them. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I was very fabulous in that band. <laughs> but there was the the singer had a lot of cr- creepy issues, and I just so... The, there were two bass players in the band two females and one of them was uh, a partner so to speak in with the singer and she wasn't that good of a player but uh, the other one they had was this girl named christina she was an amazing bass player and the drummer that they had was really good too they had a different drummer from the time i saw them so she the 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 female the other female bass player played in this band called the inoculators that was her other band she was in And uh, I get a call from her shortly after I left Black Fag, and she goes, hey, you know, John from Black Fag has just joined my band, my other band, The Inoculators, and our guitar player just left. We have a tour lined up for, for, uh, you know, the the West Coast. Would you like to to play guitar for us? And I went, sure, (laughs) you know. So I ended up joining The Inoculators for uh, for about, for a year. Mm -hmm. One year in 45 grave, one year in Christian death, one year in, in Black Fag one you know and one year in the inoculators i'm that's tour-
0: like a whole president
1: yeah I'm, yeah I'm touring and i'm doing all these i'm touring and playing all these great shows with these bands and then uh somehow the the, the guy that was the singer and the main songwriter it, not, the inoculators was his band basically his wife got pregnant so and he decided well that's it the little woman says like i can't go out and play anymore i got, gotta gotta be a family guy so he broke up the inoculators so from there, me and Christina and John said, we're a really, really tight, you know, unit, why don't we start our own band? So we, you know, so uh, on one of my, uh, men- I used to go and record the mentors when they play at this club called Raji's in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I used to take my little Radio Shack cassette player and, and tape their shows and just laugh my ass off at El Duce's uh, in-between song banter. And so, uh, at one time, he's improvising during. One, I think it was Rockam Sockam. Maybe it's on the record. I don't know. But at one point, he just goes, "I hate you, baby, but I love to fuck you." <laughs> and I would just laugh my ass off at that line. So I thought, "Hey, let's start the let's let's call the band Hate You Baby." <laughs> so, and, and as a tribute to Eldon and also because the guy that was in our previous band broke up our band to raise his child, you know. So he's called. <laughs> hate so, the baby. So we had oh, Hate You Baby. Yeah. So, so then I was in Hate You Baby. So that's five bands in five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow we, we played with the Angry Samoans. We started getting some good gigs and because of certain connections of mine, we, we were playing, you know, good gigs or whatever, and we were a good band. But then kind of all of a sudden John and Christina started getting these kind of really big, you know, and I was happy just being, you know, they both wrote songs. And so I was kind of happy just being the guitar player and just kind of being, ah, well, yeah, I got this band with these two friends of mine, blah, blah, blah. We go out, we do these great gigs. And I wasn't really writing. I wasn't the singer. Christina was the singer. So I thought, I'll just let them run things, and I'll just be the guitar player. You know, no responsibility. I just show up, you know. And they started getting really big-headed about it, you know. And then they, they started, you know, they started, like, insulting me, saying, you know, like, well, you know, well, you know, you don't bother to write. And I go, well, I thought you guys were the songwriters. Go, well, you know, you don't sing. And I go, well, Christina's the singer, you know. And, well, you know what, to be honest with you, you're this guy that talks about how you've been in this band and that band, but you know what, you really haven't done shit in a long time, have you? And I was like, you know what, boom, I'm out of here. So so that was it. So I reactivated the, the PRVs at that point. Greg came back, so we became PRV13, and... and uh, now I'm playing an Electric Frankenstein, so it's all come to this kind of big, crazy circle where I'm, you know.
0: Is TRV-13 still, still around?
1: Yeah, kind of. We play when, if Greg will only come out to do big shows, like if we play with the Descendants again, he'll come out, you know, and just kind of the bigger shows, the more kind of hype, to make it worth his while to come out and not just play at uh, so-and-so, you know, bar playing, you know, maybe maybe 50 people or we'll show up or whatever. So uh, when, we, when we are going to play like a smaller venue, <clears throat> we got this guy named John Collinson who plays with us he's been a friend of Bobby's for years bobby still plays bass and we we just go out, we we just do it just to have fun at this point it's not really like i'm pushing the band or we're not really having any recording plans right. or anything like that just just to keep myself busy and have fun you know cool. and I play with my friend to me that's kind of what music um, music is for me is about the camaraderie and the having fun yeah
0: you know? yeah i can tell cuz every time you've made a move it's been sort of because it's no longer like family yeah like yeah, yeah somebody's running it like a business
1: i talk to a lot of people in bands and they seem to come from homes that were pretty dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what they look for in a band. Not only do they want like attention, but they also want to find a family. You know, they want right. to find that family unit and you find that in a band. You're you're a group of people that are together. You spend a lot of time together. You know, you go through up a lot of ups and downs together. You have to stick together and you have to be a cohesive unit.
0: Right. Cuz there's like an overall vision or an overall mm-hmm. goal kind of cuz exactly. you're all making yeah. music together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So and thankfully that's uh, this we have a new drummer in in, uh, in in electric Frankenstein his name is Ruben, he's great he's great to be around he's really fun and him and I hit it off perfectly so it's 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 really good in electric Frankenstein right now it's awesome. very very satisfying musically I love that band you know I've always been a fan of theirs and my guitar playing just goes is, is it's a no-brainer you know we need oh, a guitar definitely, pa- yeah you know, let's, let's get let's get Jaime Pena you know he knows our songs he, he's he, his style is perfect for us boom you know problem solved so.
0: So you, um, you worked at Hollywood Book and Poster for a long time. How long did you work there for?
1: On and off, like almost 15 years probably.
0: So I don't know if you can pick out one, but can you tell like a story about, you know, meeting somebody, an actor or something like in relation to that?
1: Not one specifically, but uh, at the old location, especially on, on Las Palmas, it, it was great. It was, not too many people know this, but the inside of the interior was painted all black. That was Peter from the Test Tube Babies did that. The They were on tour, and Peter had, like, for some reason, his flight was, you know, like a few days after uh, the, sh- his, the tour was over, so he, he needed some money to survive. So Eric gave him a job, said, hey, you, want, you know, he's hanging around the store, like, as all the punk rockers do. It was like punk rockers either hung out on Melrose or on, they were on Hollywood Boulevard. They would go to this record store across the street or they'd come into Hollywood Composter and hang out. So there's a lot of punk rockers used to hang out at Hollywood Composter. So Peter was hanging out. He said, I need a job, mate. And Eric's like, well, the store needs a paint job. Okay. So it was Peter that decided to paint it black. This place should be black. You know, you have a lot of horror stuff. You know, you sell a lot of zombie stuff, you know, vampires. Let's paint it black. So Peter from the Test Tube Babies painted the store black. (laughs) But... Uh, so going in with that I mean that's where I met Mary and Paul Cutler for the first time you know Mary Mary from 45 grave they did uh, one of my first gigs working there was doing security for the uh, return to the living dead uh, autograph signing that they did the cast and crew plus uh, it was supposed to be members of the cramps members of TSOL, members of the cramps the cramps never showed up Jack never showed up but Ron Emery showed up from, and he was always been a big hero of mine so I got to meet him Got to meet Paul Cutler, got to meet Don Bowles, got to meet, you know, Paul or Mary Mary Sims, aka Dying of Cancer. That was a big thrill. Johnny Ramone was a big uh, oh, yeah, big awesome. uh, movie movie poster collector. When he came in basically I it was embarrassing. I, when I think about it, I think about it now, I don't know how he ever spoke with me again after some of the stuff I would put him through. You know? What did you do? I don't even want to say it's so embarrassing, but I was like starstruck. You know, that's where I get my, my down, downstroke strumming style, Johnny Ramone. You know, if you break down my guitar style, basically, it's it's my my three big heroes. Basically, three three of my big guitar player, punk rock guitar player heroes, Johnny Ramone for the uh, the downstroking, the tight downstroking, and Johnny Thunders and Ace Frehley from Kiss. For, as far as the guitar solos, that's if you break down my style, that's what it is. So uh, when Johnny, you know, it was embarrassing. <laughs> I, I made a real ass of myself. Somehow he's like, hey, right, this, this kid's okay, you know. So And Johnny and I ended up having a friendship, you know. So that, But, yeah, the first time I met him, I was really, really starstruck, very starstruck. Uh, and the misfits were supposed to come in. They never really came in. But to, I did eventually meet Lux and Ivy from the Cramps, and that was, that was great, you know, so... It was things like working at Hollywood and Poster was things like that happening every day. I used to work there seven days a week, and then when I started playing with chemical people, I, I started having to take days off. You know, either to go on the to, on road on the road, or just to kind of rest at some point. Because, yeah. like I said, after I'd get off work at seven, Dave would pick me up. We'd go to the rehearsal spot, we and rehearse from eight o'clock till eleven at least 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Sometimes we had to go to a gig that night, Mm -hmm. but we we were seven days a week, at least three or four hours a night in that rehearsal spot. So that's why the chemical people were so tight. We wanted to be like Black Flag. We wanted to be like the Descendants. We wanted people to walk away from those shows going, that was the tightest band I've ever seen in my life, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Whose choice was it to cover uh, as the Angels?
1: That was Dave. Dave was a huge, Dave's like, which, you know, there's this thing, I'm sure you know, you're a record collector of mu- around music. There's this thing called the uh, girl band geek guy. Dave was a girl band geek. And, and Patti Smith, Patty Smith and Diana Ross were his two number one. Those were his two favorites. So, so he ended up writing a letter to Patti Smith, a general delivery or something, New York, and she got it and ended up writing him back. And so he goes, we're gonna do Ask the Angels. Patty Smith just sent me like I think he owns her original lyrics for that for that oh, record. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. That's really cool. So that was Dave, yeah.
0: Who's your favorite monster?
1: Uh my favorite monster would definitely have to be Count Dracula. so I, mean, I love the Universal Monsters. I love Count Dracula. I love Bela Lugosi. Boris Karloff as the Frankenstein monster, Lon Chaney as the um, as the Wolfman. You know, and I didn't think about it till later. But when you're a kid, you you really identify with those creatures because you know Dracula is this tragic creature. You know, he's he's cursed. You know, of course, the Frankenstein monster. When I was a baby, when I was a kid, I used to cry my eyes out at the end of Bride of Frankenstein. To me, that was the most heartbreaking movie ever. When the bride rejects him at the end, that's every third grade boy who has a crush on the prettiest girl in class, and she won't give him the time of day. That's what that part of the movie, it, it totally captures that, you know. And, it's, and, you know, Lon Chaney, the same thing. He's cursed. He's a tragic figure. You know, I think a lot of kids, especially when they come from dysfunctional families, that's, they, they, they can relate to that, you know, but, you know, yeah, count Dracula. He dressed cool. He lived in a castle. He had a bunch of, he had a bunch of brides, right? Not one, but several. And he got to stay up all night and sleep in all day. You know, how cool, how, what, how cool is that, you know? That's, that's the so lifestyle, funny. that's the rock and roll lifestyle right there. That's
0: so funny. I've just <laughs> never heard it put that way, but it, it makes complete perfect sense.
1: How many rock stars live in castles when they get rich? Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: That, that is the number one housing choice yes. if you really go into the mm-hmm. unlimited. So would, is that what you would do?
1: Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, favorite Halloween costume as a kid?
1: Dressing as a vampire, I, I had a, my mom sewed me a cape when I was a little boy. You know, and I used to buy those those plastic fangs, and my sister would, would put the black makeup around my eyes and mm-hmm. make make me a devil, a widow's peak. You know. uh-huh. I was gonna say devil lock, but
0: that was, hair, the widow's peak was before the devil lock. My
1: hair wasn't that long at the time, yeah. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, and what what uh, what kind of guitar do you play?
1: I, uh, I was sponsored by Gibson Epiphone when I was in Chemical People, but I used to play a Gibson Dan Armstrong, and as it turned out, Chemical People weren't a big enough band for them to give me guitars, or else I'd be playing uh, SGs and, uh, and Les Pauls, like, uh, like Ace Fraley. Yeah. Uh, but, they, but you know, their, their offer was, well, if you go out and buy, we'll sell you a, a guitar at this price, a discount, and you can come in and get it, you know, fixed for free any time that you want. And we'll loan you any kind of Les Paul you want from our, you know, our uh, vaults to record with as long as you put, you know, Guitars by Gibson on the record. It's like, that sounds like a really crummy deal, you know, and I can get a better deal on a, I can get a better discount at Guitar Center. Yeah. So I just kind of, I signed the contract, but I kind of blew it off and just kept playing my Dan Armstrong. And uh, when uh, when I was in Forty Five Grave, the, the creator from Emily, Emily the Strange, which was a character I really liked, did his own Epiphone SG. So I said, "Wow, I should contact Gibson to see if my if they're still interested in sponsoring me." You know. And uh, it turns out they kind of weren't Forty Five Grave, weren't even a bigger, a big enough band for them to sponsor. But then, like mm-hmm. somehow, the Forty Five Grave manager, booking agent at the time, contacted the creator of Emily Estrange and said, "Hey, you know, my guitar player is a big fan. We're going on tour. He really wants this guitar. So he called up Epiphone and said, Send this guy a guitar right now.' And it's the guitar I play. This if you see me with electric Frankenstein, it's the guitar I use to this day. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Gibson SG, that's what I use. No, Epiphone SG. I'm sorry. But I have a vintage uh, Epiphone SG that I used to use. I don't use it anymore because it's, it's, it's too valuable. I just keep it kind of in, in the vault, you mm-hmm. know.
0: If people wanted to look you up, what's the best way to find you on those Internet things? My
1: Facebook page, Jaime Pina, J-A-I-M-E-P-I-N-A.
0: Is there anything else you would like to say to the listeners?
1: No, but uh, it's been a pleasure. Diane, you're very, uh, very hospitable. It's been a pleasure going to Das Creamery with you and Rose's uh, Rose's place. I actually love it here in New Jersey, I must say. It's a great place to be. Uh, yeah, I enjoy all the lakes and stuff. I enjoy being in New Jersey. It's it's fun, and plus not only that, but uh, people like you and Tim and Dan, they all take me to all these places that uh, loom large in the Misfits legacy. So I got to go to Lodi Pizza and all those places. So yeah, yeah, you get to hear a great bunch of great stories about the Misfits too. So since I'm a huge <laughs> Misfits fan, so
0: welcome to our turf.
1: <laughs> I love it here.
0: <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thank you, Diane,
0: and thanks to Jaime for making the time between jet setting from L. A. to Sweden by way of New Jersey. His Facebook is J-A-I-M-E-P-I-N-A. Thanks for talking to the rockers of the world. And that concludes another podcast episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. More on the way. I am Diane Kamikaze. Check my Twitter and my Instagram. Handle is one word, Diane Kamikaze. Kamikaze ends with an E. On Facebook, you can find me as Diane Kamikaze. Farris, rocker for life, and making a difference. The full link to my uh, index of shows and podcasts is can be found on wfmu.org/playlists/dk. Those are that's a capital D and a capital K. I'm going to be working on encore presentations, and I've got years of interviews and podcasts. So if there's something that you'd like to see reposted that you missed, please get in touch. Send me email, diane at wfmu.org. And be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you like it, please rate it and review it. Wow. WFMU. Peer pressure. Thank you. See you next time.